Welcome to the FTF Exchange Podcast. This is Maureen Lowe, founder and president of FTF. In this podcast series, we speak with industry professionals from leading financial and technology firms in capital markets. We will discuss an array of topics from current events to the latest fintech updates to human interest stories from time to time. Through these discussions, we strive to foster thought leadership and information sharing, and we certainly welcome comments and feedback for future episodes. Well, hello, everyone. Uh, Today, we are speaking with uh, Neil Murphy, business manager at Trioptima. Before we dive into the questions, Neil, could you give us a quick introduction about yourself and what you do at uh, Trioptima? Yeah, sure. Hi, Eugene. Yeah, so I'm uh, Neil Murphy. I have been with Trioptima for a number of years, and my primary function is working with clients, helping them understand UMR, the uncleared margin rules, uh, helping them identify regulatory challenges, operational challenges, and helping them kind of understand best practice around collateral management uh, as they come into scope. What are the major challenges that firms are facing in meeting the deadlines of the uncleared margin rules, uh, UMR? At a high level, I'd say the key challenges for, for firms meeting the UMR deadlines, they can be summarized as all relating to volume. And, and by that, I mean kind of two things, both the volume of tasks that firms uh, need to complete in order to prepare for the deadline, which is you know pretty wide ranging, and also the number of in-scope firms that are included in the upcoming phases. And in terms of the volume of firms, you know, across the earlier four phases since 2016, we've seen only about 70, 75 firms come into scope. However, in contrast, we expect more than 300 maybe in in September 2021 uh, and upwards of 600 in September 2022. So this volume creates its own set of challenges as firms compete for resources at the same time, you know, whether that's custodians, counterparties, vendors or, or consultants. So I also said, you know, the volume of tasks, UMR impacts right across the organization trading, risk, technology, legal, uh, and operations, to name just a few. So the sheer number of tasks at hand and the breadth of, you know, the participants involved at all firms will will create its own set of challenges. Uh, And if we talk to those firms, you know, who went through UMR in in phases one and two, they talk about compliance really being a 12-month project. So definitely that there are are challenges um, related to volumes. But when I talk to people about challenges, I kind of like to break down or categorize the challenges into two kind of groups. First, what I call calculation-related challenges. And by this, I mean, you know, the choice of an IM model, whether that's going to be the is the sim approach or a schedule or grid methodology. Um, then obviously, then there's a challenge around selection of an IM calculation engine. Do you do that internally uh, or do you work with an external vendor? And then for EU firms, the, the, some of those may be subject to additional calculation requirements around governance requirements uh, of their IM model. So there's a whole bunch of challenges that I like to group as calculation. And second, there's also what I like to call collateral-related challenges. And these tend to be quite numerous, including you know, quite mundane day-to-day functions, the calculation of the daily margin call, communication of the margin call between you and your counterparties, settlement of collateral, to a third-party custodian, even selection of collateral, which will be different potentially uh, from existing cash collateral that's used. So there's really a, just a broad range of challenges that firms really need to start preparing for. And I guess maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but my assumption is that many, many firms have started taking on some of these steps, despite the pandemic and other other problems. 
For sure, yeah. Like back in 2020, at the onset of the pandemic, regulators granted a one-year delay for Phase Five and Phase Six firms. So at that point, Phase Five firms should have already have been, you know, well underway with their planning. By now, with just six months to go, we'd hope that most of them are, you know, they've completed a lot of these steps or the evaluation, uh, and are now really in the kind of delivery phase. Could we break down, you know, some of the key steps uh, involved in the following? And, and I'll just. Uh... I'll read off the first one, which is the, and you touched on this earlier, average aggregate notional amount, AANA, that calculation. What are some of the steps involved in that? Yeah, so the ANA calculation is effectively what determines when a firm is in scope. Uh, and really, it's the gross aggregate uh, or the gross aggregation uh, of the notional of all of a firm's in scope OTC trades. So I think the first step is. You know, firms will need to, cal- to to identify which entities do they need to include in this calculation. If they're a single, simple structure, you know, simple single entity firm, that's much, much, much simpler. But if you're part of a larger group, and um, by group uh, I mean where the accounts of of two or more entities roll up for accounting purposes together, then that ANA calculation uh, must be done at the group level. Also for buy side for multi-manager funds, for example, where trades are allocated across multiple investment manager, this again adds more complexity since each investment manager will only see a portion of the overall portfolio. So you would need to work with each manager to consolidate the positions in order to do the aggregation to determine the total ANA amount. So that they create their own challenges in, in terms of identification of the entities. But the second task at play for ANA calculation is the need to identify the trades which should be included in the calculation and to collate the notional amount for each of those trades across a three-month observation period, um, which is March to June uh, this year for most firms uh, in scope for 2021. And here is perhaps where firms start to struggle sometimes, I think, given that there's a lack of guidance from regulators on, on how this ANA calculation should be done. Uh, so, for example, some firms have maybe struggled where products on those products where there isn't maybe an obvious notional, um, such as amortizing trades. Um, so, therefore, they have to determine what which notional should they be using, and that can lead to some differences. Uh, and firms also, also you know, potentially across groups, may be subject to jurisdictional differences in terms of the ANA calculation, and this may create its own nuances, including you know, different observation periods uh, and differences in the averaging methodology uh, between the US and the rest of the world. But I think perhaps probably the largest challenge with regards to ANA calculation is, is just identifying and extracting the correct data, uh, normalizing it, ensuring that you can perform this calculation. And once those calculations are done, obviously firms then need to disclose um, the results to their counterparties to let them know whether they're in scope in phase five, phase six, or whether they're not in scope. Mm -hmm. And it also, if you have correct ANA information, I I guess a firm can then decide if it wants to stay in scope or change things. I mean, is that is that possible as well? That's potentially an option for some firms, and we and we have seen that become more of a kind of uh, consideration for phase five and six firms who may be wanting to avoid uh, UMR. Probably something we didn't really see in the early phases because that really impacted such large firms. Mm-hmm. So the option really is if maybe if they're close to the the ANA uh, threshold amount for, for for a given phase, some firms may look to change their trading strategies to reduce their ANA. So perhaps you know, moving from uncleared into cleared, they could lower mm-hmm. their, their total ANA, either deferring or extending 
the, the compliance period or, or even uh, avoiding UMR altogether. Right. I have heard that some firms are, are taking that strategy. Yeah. And I think there's definitely some firms we've been working with who've been on the borderline phase five, phase six, and they're, you know, they've been quite happy to come in a little bit below and give themselves an extra year mm-hmm. to kind of determine what they want to do. Right. What are the steps involved in uh, a firm uh, sorting out its collateral processing needs? That can a little complicated. Yeah, well, I think at the high level, the collateral processing needs associated with Reg IM are, are probably quite easy to define. I think first off, they need a, a means to store any new regulatory IM legal agreements or CSAs they have with their counterparties. Uh, plus, they need to be able to perform a daily IM margin call calculation. And neither of those steps differ greatly from their existing VM process. They have existing VM CSAs and they perform a daily VM calculation. Um, Although we've seen some firms where they're using legacy systems and those systems might struggle to now maintain a combination of both IM and VM agreements with a single counterparty since they were built maybe to expect just one legal agreement with one counterparty. Um, and in terms of performing an IM margin calc each day, firms will obviously need to be able to integrate to their IM calculator. So if something perhaps more complex, if they're using an external vendor, um, and it just adds to the daily challenge. So you can probably say that there's probably some benefits if you're going to leverage an external vendor for the IM calculate for the IM exposure calculation, whether that's SIM or, or schedule. There's some benefits of using the same vendor to help you perform the margin calculation process and workflow. But I think it's probably about the processing of the daily IM calls uh, where firms probably need to focus their attention and to validate and check that they can support IM appropriately. And I think sometimes this has probably been a lower priority. Firms have been focusing, rightly so, uh, on the IM calculation. So as part of the IM planning, firms should be evaluating their existing VM process to understand whether it can support new IM demands. So they need to be able to integrate to the IM calculator as, as I mentioned, they're going to need to be able to exchange calls electronically via the industry standard platform margin sphere. So for a lot of firms still relying on email, that's not something that's going to be uh, welcomed by their dealer counterparties, for example, because of the increase in volume of calls, firms are really looking to automate wherever possible, um, rightly so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in terms of the collateral, firms will need to determine what assets they're going to use. You know, if they're using cash today, they're going to need to start to, to look at a, a wider set of non-cash collateral, uh, where to fund that, how to source that. Uh, and finally, they really need to think about segregation of their, their IM collateral, which is a requirement under the rules. Um, so they will need to select a custodian or tri-party agent uh, and, and put in place the right means of communicating with them to ensure that they can settle daily movements. So I think for those firms maybe on internal or or legacy systems, they're they're likely going to have to adopt new technology around the collateral process. This is a good thing, I I think, because it will allow them to benefit from industry standardization around messaging, around settlement, um, and also to to improve the automation of the end-to-end process, something that can benefit not just the new IM process, but they should be targeting uh, as an upgrade to their existing VM process. As firms get their ducks in a row, so to speak, how should they continue to monitor their progress through this really complicated process? Yeah, I mentioned earlier, you know, firms talk about a 12-month duration uh, for this type of project from planning to analysis to delivery. I think they need to be having constant dialogue with their counterparties, their custodian, their vendors, and their providers. And it's about, as you said, you know, keeping their ducks in a row. Nobody wants to be 
finalizing their project one day before the, the compliance deadline. You know, there are steps that firms can begin very early, engaging with vendors, engaging with counterparties and custodians to understand the resources that are available. You know, to evaluate and to test uh, vendor platforms, uh, to get familiar with the new regulatory IM documentation, uh, and to understand maybe the onboarding steps uh, with custodians. I think they're, they're definitely steps that can, can, can help uh, firms and that will allow them to maybe monitor the timeline. You know, that, so six to 12 months in advance, they should be working with vendors, custodians, counterparties, and then six to zero months really is, should be more about delivery uh, and implementation. Quickly, what services uh, does Trioptima offer to, to help buy-side firms meet the uh, non-cleared margin rules? So here at Trioptima, we offer you know what we would term a holistic UMR solution, and it encompasses you know full support for the calculation of IM, the, the margin workflow management, as well as dispute resolution. And we think this offering really probably the most comprehensive in the industry. Yeah, and we've been helping firms since phase one back in 2016. Uh, so during that time, we've built up a you know, a vast experience about really about what clients need. Uh, and we're also keen to help clients by not offering a rigid one size fits all uh, solution. Instead, our services can be deployed in a way that works best for clients. Uh, and one way to look at this is that there's, there's definitely differences between the firms in the earlier earlier phases one to four and those largely by side in phases five to six. So for example, in, in, in the earlier phases, we saw the priority requirements for these firms were really around IM margin management, the workflow, and also dispute resolution. And this really makes sense because those large banks, mainly who were impacted, they were well capable of calculating IM themselves. However, for phase five and six and among the buy side, we see a much wider interest in firms who need help with sensitivity and IM calculations, back testing, as well as margin management and monitoring. So a much more comprehensive set of services um, that, that, that they'll require. Um, plus for phase five and six, we also see strong demand um, for full automation of the process. And that includes connectivity to custodians and triparties. So one of the things Trioptima has built to help phase five and six firms is swift integration capability to settle reg IM payments, whether that's to your chosen custodian or triparty. So that will offer firms the ability to move away from manual communication you know, with, with custodians, which we've seen in some cases in the past has included fax, uh, as well as logging into multiple custodian portals. So that will give give them the STP they need. And another another key point um, around the Triptima offering is we've also provided the industry standard around portfolio reconciliation. And, and firms are now re-evaluating their approach to, to, to reconciliation as they identify as being the, the kind of fundamental to the identification and uh, resolution of differences around um, IM calculation. So firms are now kind of, many firms are coming on board to improve their VM portfolio reconciliation process, knowing that it can help improve their IM dispute management process. Okay. As, as you've noted, things have been moving along, but how much progress has the industry made as far as phase five and phase six? At this point, I'd say we're, you know, we're six months from phase five uh, go live. And I'd say overall, the industry is in a pretty good position for, in terms of phase five. Phase six firms still have nearly 18 months to go. They're, 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 it's, they're, it's very positive for them, I think. But 
I think there's always going to be the case. There's firms in different states of preparation, and we see some firms who are in a very advanced stages. For example, there's those firms who took advantage of the the one the one year delay. They effectively continued their projects last year, and in some cases have completed them, and they are already able to perform daily IM calculations. This benefits them that they can now focus on ensuring they have a really seamless day end to end process uh, and some of them are even going through effectively a soft go live where they're exchanging uh, im numbers with their dealer counterparties allowing them to kind of identify uh, whether there are any differences to kind of work on correcting those so they're really in a good situation ahead of september the first and i think others are diligently completing their projects and moving closer to completion. For example, I think over the last two quarters, we've worked with many phase five firms to onboard them to our Tri-Calculate SIM valuation service and help them perform preliminary IM calculations. And this step is so critical to, to helping firms prepare. You know, Since early determination of your IM exposure for, uh, on a portfolio can help you determine the wider scope, the wider impact uh, of the project. So, so for those firms who are now, or in the last couple of quarters, who've been able to calculate IAM, um, I think they're getting close to bilateral testing with counterparties. Um, so again, they're one step closer to to preparation, uh, and they'll be wet, they'll be in a very good situation before the summer. And in terms of those, the, the final small, hopefully smaller group of firms who are running maybe behind schedule um, with their preparations. I think it's par for the course with any regulatory deadline, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. But given the one-year delay that the regulators offered due to COVID, we'd hope that the number of firms squeezing through the door uh, on September the 1st would be minimized. But I think we will see some. Um, or obviously, some firms are performing their ANA calculations that won't complete until early June. Um, and they only then will they know for sure whether they're in scope in September. Uh, obviously, that's quite late if they're keeping their fingers crossed, hoping that their number is below the the, the threshold uh, and only going to start their preparations. Then they've left it too late. But I would expect that is a very small number of firms who are looking at that scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that would cause a lot of nightmares, right? Uh, for, for sure. Yeah, for, not just for the firms in scope, but for the providers also. Yeah. Given everything that's going on, with, and we've alluded to the uh, to the pandemic and all the issues related to that, how should firms that know that they're in scope for compliance, how should they prioritize their efforts and their resources? I think first and foremost, you know, we've, we've mentioned ANA calculation. That's the first step. You know, that determines when you're in scope, whether it's phase five, phase six, or potentially later. And once they know that, this gives firms a timeline to work towards. Um, obviously, then once they know that they're in scope, they need to disclose this to their counterparties. Uh, and both of these steps are pretty vanilla, very standard. But it's the next step which is critical. And this needs to be the priority for firms. And I think this is really the selection of an IM model, whether the use is the SIM or schedule, and then the associated step, which is the estimation of the IM per portfolio. Because when a firm has this, they will understand the full impact. Because of the regulatory relief, uh, offered by regulators that allows firms to defer um, negotiation of IMCAs, CSAs, and to defer the opening of custodian accounts while they remain below the 50 million threshold. It's critical that a firm does estimate IM as early as possible. 
By doing so, you identify whether you have counterparties who will be immediately above the 50 million and therefore require uh, legal documentation onboarding to custodian, or whether you have a set of portfolio where IM will begin below 50 million, but over time exceed 50 million. So firms need to be thinking about that duration because that will then determine some of the steps they need to perform, or whether these IM estimates now tell you you have a number of portfolios, or in fact, all of your portfolios, where the IM exposure will remain below the regulatory threshold forever. And then obviously that mm-hmm. guides them that they effectively have uh, a softer compliance uh, burden. Um, this relief introduces a kind of a new concept for phase five and phase six firms, what you know the industry calls IM monitoring, uh, effectively whereby firms simply need to calculate their IM daily and to validate that it's below that 50 million and perhaps monitor against maybe what we'd call a soft threshold, let's say 30 million, uh, so that when they exceed 30 million, that's a trigger for them to begin negotiation of CSAs, their counterparties, to begin uh, onboarding to a custodian. So I think they're they're the kind of key uh, steps. And I guess the sum of all this effort is a a huge mitigation of risk across the industry. I mean, everyone is, of course, figuring out the nuts and bolts, but if we step back a bit, it's supposed to lower risk in a positive way in the uncleared world. For sure. And, and you know, the driver for the, the uncleared margin rules, you know, it came out of the financial crisis back in 08. Mm-hmm. And so regulators are looking to mitigate risk across the, the non-cleared space. So, yes, I agree. It will definitely help mitigate risk. But there's obviously a lot of discussion in the industry about whether the requirements on the buy side from these much smaller firms in scope in phase five and six is, is whether that's really where the, the risk lies or is that lie with the much larger firms who are, to be honest, probably better set up to cope with some of these um, compliance burdens. But regard, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a separate discussion from now, I think. That'll be our next chat. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Neil. Thanks very much, Eugene. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the FTF Exchange podcast. If you would like a turn in the hot seat, reach out to us at info at ftfnews.com and let us know what capital markets topics you'd like to discuss. Also, be sure to sign up to receive our email alert so you don't miss out on listening to future episodes. Just visit ftfnews.com and click the sign up link at the top of the page. Thanks again for listening to the FTF Exchange podcast. Podcast.